September is for pretenders. November is for contenders. Like, you know. <laughs> well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 128. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are in week 42 of our cross-training series, continuing into our discussion of endurance this episode by talking about strength in suffering. But before we get into any banter, any of our segments, what I want to say off the bat is thank you so much if you tuned into the Balancing the Christian Life podcast and listened to our interview over there. And a huge thanks to Kenny, who had us on the show, just to talk about what it means to be a Bible geek. It's something that's very <laughs> close to our hearts for sure. Oh, that was fun. Uh, he's He is a blast to talk to. Oh, as, sure. I, my wife and I listened to that together today as we were doing some other stuff. And his laugh is what <laughs> held the whole thing together. It's just like it just really listening did. to him laugh. I could spend a podcast with that. So I need to get his laugh on the soundboard so I can oh, just play yeah, it. Oh, yeah, on the soundboard. Yeah, That would be yeah. perfect. The, the soundboard, I was glad the soundboard made an appearance on <laughs> even Kenny's show. <laughs> For sure. All right, so here on the episode, again, like I said, we're talking about strength in suffering, and suffering is something that we've talked about a lot during this cross-training series, but I think on the episode here, we're just going to focus in on how to stay strong, how to endure through these moments that really just can easily get us down. Yeah, so something this makes me think about, I, I haven't told you this, I actually went curling the other day, like what? not not uh, weightlifting, but the, uh-huh. the ice sport curling. yeah, yeah. 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 So a friend of mine here, one of the brothers asked me on a Friday, hey, do you have anything going on tonight? And that's always a little bit of an ominous question. But uh, (laughs) I said, "Uh, no, not really. And so he invited me to join him curling at this curling club we have here in town. And it was awesome. It was really cool. It was way harder than I would expect. You know, you stretch your leg out way in front of you. Uh And uh, I have to say, I was much more sore the next day than I expected to be. (laughs) (laughs) It was really hard. I mean, it was a a lot of the work was in the the sweeping. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was its own kind of work. But then, you know, you're stretching those hip flexors in a unique way. And whenever you have soreness from whatever kind of exercise, what you're feeling, as I understand it, is muscle growth. I mean, that's a lot of the times whenever you've been exercising, that's the feeling of those muscles rebuilding stronger. I hadn't used those. I needed to be ready for using them again. And on the other side, pain often brings growth spiritually. If that's what we're seeking, if that's what we're trying to do is grow, we can take this suffering and and grow from it, just like that muscle soreness. Well, I guess no pain, no gain to start off the episode makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get into our first segment here on the episode, and that is like the teacher. And as we always do, we're going to somewhere where Jesus shows us an example of this quality we're looking at today, and that's strength and suffering. John 15, verses 18 to chapter 16, verse 3, is where Jesus has this long explanation with his disciples about the fact that they are going to suffer. He really just starts it out here in no uncertain terms. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. The world is going to hate you. They hated me, and they're not going to appreciate what you have to say. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So he's telling his disciples here that you are in good company when you're going through difficult things. He 
equates those who hate him with those who actually hate God the Father themselves. He talks about the Holy Spirit who's going to come and help them, be with them during this time. But he says that he's told them all these things to keep them from falling away. So know this before you get too far down the road. You are going to pay for following me. He says they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So thinking about this conversation as Jesus really gets real with his disciples, what do you take from this? Well, it makes me think about trying to choose between the frying pan or the fire. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did you ever read The Hobbit? I did, yes. Yeah, me too. I, in high school, I had to read it, and usually the assignment just ruins it anytime anything's assigned. But I actually <laughs> fell in love with The Hobbit. And there's this chapter called Out of the Frying Pan into the Fire, where Bilbo, the hero of the story, gets away from one group of bad guys, these goblins, only to be attacked by these wolves. And so out of the frying pan, into the fire. And Jesus is warning here of something similar, I think. And a good place to start understanding this discourse is to ask, why did Jesus say all of this? Why paint the world and the church in this black and white language? They're going to hate you. Why speak of the helper, the coming spirit? Why warn the disciples so clearly that trouble is coming? And he tells us in verse one of chapter 16, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. It's not to keep you from persecution, not to keep you from a hard life, but to keep you from something way worse. If I leave Jesus, I leave his help. I leave his deliverance. If I leave him, I leave everything. And so the great danger is that I avoid persecution and maybe some of the pain of a faithful life by falling away from Christ. It might make a few things easier, but ultimately I've jumped out of the frying pan and into this blaze of the fire itself. And so Jesus says, prepare yourself. Don't be surprised and hang on to me. That's the more important thing to choose. And I guess the comparison there about the frying pan is that you have this life of suffering and Jesus is telling us to stay in the frying pan. Like, don't leave the frying pan. Exactly. The frying yeah. pan is where you need to be. And yeah. that is not a comfortable thing to hear. <laughs> no, and, to be in a frying pan. And exactly what Jesus is about to go through, I can only imagine that his disciples are thinking like, this is what we have to look forward to. This is how we're going to be treated. I don't know that they really fully thought that through when Jesus says, come to me. And they followed him in the very beginning. Like, I don't think they saw that as the rest of their lives when they first committed themselves to the Lord. Yeah, I mean, they can't say they weren't warned, but I, I don't think they had a real idea of what was coming. No, for sure. And we call this whole section like the teacher, right? And we're trying to be like the teacher. We're trying to be like Jesus. This just reminds me all the more that we need to be like him, most importantly, in his suffering. Basically, Jesus tells us what the future is going to hold for both himself and his disciples. They're going to kill me. And oh, by the way, they're also going to kill you. Don't expect that you're going to be treated any better than they're going to treat me. And they may not understand that, like I was saying at this point. They may not totally grok what's going on. But as <laughs> they're standing there at the foot of the cross, they have to be going through their mind thinking, oh, this is what he's talking about. I can't imagine that they're not thinking about these words right here as they're seeing him crucified. But how do I, or maybe better yet, how can I suffer like Jesus did? 
pulling this out of the first century examples, like they were required, like you were saying, to be in the frying pan, stay in the frying pan. Like, how can I get in the frying pan? How can I suffer? How should I suffer like Jesus did? And do his words change my view of suffering today? Because what he's really doing, I think, is he's trying to normalize or set an expectation that you will go through stuff. You will have to endure things. And am I willing to just be ostracized or excluded or physically or mentally persecuted like Jesus was? And maybe a question I ask myself frequently is, am I hiding in the shadows, kind of trying to avoid the treatment that he's describing here? Oh, that's, yeah. If I want to be like Jesus, I need to be like him in his suffering. That's a piercing question. Yeah. Well, and I we were joking before we started recording, we were making some emphasis jokes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying. It's not suffer like Jesus did. It's suffer like Jesus did. Yeah. It's about the way he went through it. It's not, it's like we said last week about being persecuted doesn't prove you're righteous. Suffering is not any more righteous than not suffering. It's just the way we live and the way we live, even in the midst of suffering, how we handle all of the things that come is what matters and doing all of it like Jesus. And like you said, not backing down, not hiding from what we need to do and and what we need to face. All right. So let's get into our second segment here on the episode. And that is flying through the book. I feel the need, the need for speed. So we're going to consider a book here that really has a lot to do with suffering. And that is the book of James. And as we always do in these segments, we are going to fly through it with a really quick introduction. So kick this thing off for us. Yeah, well, James is, there's a lot of Jameses in the Bible, but James, this one is the brother of Jesus. And he writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Of course, he doesn't call himself the Lord's brother. He would never do that, I think. He calls himself the Lord's servant. And the audience is probably mainly Jewish Christians, mainly near Palestine, maybe. And James is known to be an incredibly pious man. He was well-respected even by the unconverted Jews. And this may have been one of the earlier books of the New Testament, maybe late 40s. We're not really sure about the dating. It could have been later than that. James was martyred in 62 AD in Jerusalem. So obviously that would be the latest date of the writing. But the main insight I take from this is that we need to get real and get serious about what Jesus said, like the stuff we just talked about. And I think of it like the Proverbs of the New Testament is this practical, pithy book, I think more so than the rest of the New Testament. Although I think it really has a lot in common with those red letter sections of the gospel. I think the Sermon on, on the Mount particularly seems to have inspired a lot of this book. The parallels to the Sermon on the Mount, I think, are undeniable. And the purpose of the book, I think, is to help people live authentic Christian lives in the midst of trial, in the midst of whatever they go through, to be real and to have integrity in this life that the Lord has called us to. And he starts and he ends with this theme of trial, which kind of sets the context, I think, for the book But then we get into themes like prayer and wisdom and wealth and godly speech and love. And I think it's a book worth reading through at least once a year. It's one of those books, kind of like Proverbs or the Sermon on the Mount, that just you don't want to go too long without getting back to it. And so hopefully this little 
flight through the book we're about to have whets your appetite and prepares all the listeners to to listen through or read through the book themselves soon. Yeah, it's so much like the Proverbs. Honestly, as you start reading it, it's like one topic to another topic to another topic. It's so practical. Every little bit, every nook and cranny of this book. And getting into the first few verses here, verses 1 to 18 of chapter 1, we start out this book really with an introduction of who James is talking to. And then the whole rest of the section here is about endurance through trial. You are going to have your faith tested. What are you going to do in that testing? How are you going to endure through that? And so I see here verse 12 of James 1 as being a key verse where he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. If you just want to sum up this whole episode, maybe this could be the verse that could mean the most, Hmm. I guess. Trial is something that can lead us to the crown of life. Because when we remain steadfast and firm in those trials, that's when the Lord is going to bless us with that home eternal in heaven. And so he talks about here five times this word tempt or tempted. Who's responsible for tempting us and trying to pull us away? And he talks about our temptations being really of our own making, that we are tempted not by God, because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. But in verse 14, Each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Like, this is our desires at work here. This is us pulling ourselves away. And so the question I get from this first few verses is like, how can I remain steadfast? How can I be rock solid in my faith? And what James encourages us here is to get through those trials with prayer and personal reflection, knowing that it's my reaction to difficulty that matters. It's not what anyone else does to me. It's not what anyone else throws at me. I'm not going to be able to blame my failures on anyone else but myself. And that's totally within my control to fight off those desires to sin. And with God's help, I can definitely withstand that test. Well, yeah, that sure goes well with this episode. I'm <laughs> <laughs> feeling pretty good about choosing James as a feature here in this episode. And that leads us right into this section from chapter 1, verse 19 to chapter 2, verse 26, about real faith. And that real faith is going to be doing what needs to be done. It starts out with real listening in chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Real listening means not just hearing it and forgetting about it, but hearing it and then living it, hearing Mm -hmm. it and then doing what you heard, looking in the mirror and then remembering that that has shown you who you are and you need to make changes appropriately and live that life. And then chapter 2, verse 1 to 13 has this picture of real love. It's not going to show favoritism. It's going to follow that perfect law and and keep the commandments of love. And then real faith in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, which focuses in that section on the word works. Twelve times the word works or the things you do are emphasized there. And right before we get into chapter 2, I think a good summary of this whole section is at the end of chapter one, verses 26 to 27, where he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives (laughs) his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There was a coach for Ohio State football team that used to say, 
September is for pretenders. November is for contenders. Like, you know, at the beginning of the year, everybody's like, oh, we've got the greatest team in the world. Uh But if you live through all of the difficulty of the season and you're still standing strong, okay, that's when you're going to be a real contender. And in the same way, I think James is trying to tell us there are a lot of religious people who are pretenders, but the kingdom is no place for pretenders is for people who are really going about this work without worthless religion, but are actually doing the hard work of keeping your tongue in check of living your faith of visiting those who are in need, the weakest among us, those who are forgotten and and remembering them and helping them and just truly putting the word that they've heard to work in their life. I love that focus on action here. And I also love how James doesn't like whitewash it or make it seem easy. He's just laying it all out there on the line. Like this is hard to do. Like this is not going to be simple, but if you really want to have faith, it needs to be a faith that is acting and working. And speaking of difficulty and difficult things, he moves on in chapter three, verse one to chapter four, about midway, where he's talking about community problems. If you want to deal with anything that is challenging and hard to deal with, it is dealing with people. And so at the beginning in chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, he really focuses on watching what you say. And you already kind of mentioned how difficult it is to tame the tongue or bridle the tongue. But Mm. what we say really matters. And he extensively talks about how important our words are. But then he talks about in chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, how this otherworldly wisdom is seen in our good works. If we want to have wisdom that is from above, that wisdom is going to show in what we do. So kind of tying back into the previous section. And then he starts chapter four by saying that we need to stop the fighting and start uniting. (laughs) That's kind of his focus there is, is all the challenges and the fighting that are going on. And so in chapter four, verse eight, I see this really important verse here where he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I mean, James is like, he's not pulling the punches here in this book. A couple of times we see this word judge happen and not judging our brothers and being careful in how we judge other people. Like, it is so easy to fight with each other and to hold each other to these high standards that are impossible for anyone to live up to. And as long as we're not living on an island alone, we're going to have to deal with people. These things like jumping to conclusions, thinking we know more than other people, speaking harshly about people or to people, that's no way for a community of the church of the Lord's faithful to act. More straight talk from James. He He's all about that. And you can see a little bit of the preacher of Ecclesiastes in, in him too, mm-hmm. just like the Proverbs, all the wisdom literature, but let's not pretend what's really happening here. And that's kind of what that next section of the book, chapter four, verse 13 to chapter five, verse 11 does is he wants to clear away the smoke and say, here, look more clearly at what is happening. I want you to have a clear Christian worldview, a perspective on what is happening. And so first he writes to the proud in chapter four, verses 13 to 17, and then to the rich in chapter five, verses one to six, and to the suffering in chapter five, verses seven to 12. And I think the big insight here, at least for me, is that things aren't always what they seem, whether it's wealth or suffering or what looks like a good opportunity from a worldly standpoint. Mm -hmm. If we prioritize God's will and we trust him, we'll see things clearly enough to have that wisdom from above that you talked about. 
but he says in chapter four, verses 14 to 15, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so instead of just taking into account your desires, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And I don't think the point is you need to tack on the words, if the Lord wills, to everything you say. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's okay. That's a good thing to do. I do that a lot. But the point is, think about what the Lord wills in everything you do. Submit your actual choices to the Lord's will. Bring God into every plan, every thought. What does God want? And know that your life is in his hands. And the key word here at the end of that section is the word patience or patient. It's used four times. He brings up Job and, and he says to be like a farmer that's waiting as you're planting your crops, you're tending to your crops. Know that at some point in the future, it's, it's all going to make sense. You're going to have the reward that's coming. But though it may not look like it right now, again, things aren't always what they seem. The Lord will bless those who hold on to him through this difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. As he concludes this here at the very end in verses 12 to 20, he talks about how our words have power. He's already talked so much about what we say, but in verse 12, he tells us to speak truthfully. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then he says in verses 13 to 18, how much power our prayer has. We use our words to pray to the Lord and our prayers have a whole lot of power. And so then in verses 19 to 20, he talks about using our words are using our influence to snatch wandering souls out of the grips of death. And so we see here at the very end, the last two verses, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that's how he ends the whole letter here. And so here at the last section, he's talking a whole lot about prayer and so how can I be the most impact to others? Like, how can I really be a blessing on other people? Am I just totally ineffectual? Is there nothing that I can actually do to make a difference in this world? And James lays it out here. He says, you need to speak truthfully to people. You need to pray powerfully and you need to love people enough to lead them back home. And I think it's easy for us to think that we're powerless and think that we can't really do anything. But James is giving us the power here. He's saying, you've got the opportunity. You've got all the tools you need at your disposal to do some amazing work for the Lord. Yeah, there's this weaving of these. It's kind of like, you know, how rugs, you can't see the, <laughs> there's like a blue cord and you can't see it when it's underneath and then it pops back up and then goes back under, uh -huh, you know, yeah. and then there's a brown thread that's going the other way and you see it and then you don't. I mean, that's how these themes seem to appear. You know, you see wisdom appear and then it's gone and then wisdom appears again, you know, and, and suffering and pr all these themes just hold the book together. But like you say, they're in these really striking statements that are really short and that you can memorize. Mm -hmm. You can write on an index card. Very or, quotable. You know, put, yeah, very quotable, very like put it on your refrigerator or something and <laughs> work with that verse, that thought for a while. Just such a powerful book. Very thankful that God provided this book for us and, and preserved it down through the ages so that we can feature it on a podcast so that we can sit and think about it and be changed by it today. Well, that's the book of James. And now let's move on to our third segment on the episode. And that 
is through the week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. So every week we drop five challenges that we're going to do, and we encourage you to do them along with us. This week we're focused on challenges that help us have strength in suffering. And so the first challenge is a reading challenge. And together, we're going to read John 15, verse 18, to chapter 16, verse 3, that we talked about earlier. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12. Lamentations 3, 19 to 27. And Isaiah 40, verses 25 to 31. And I focused here on Isaiah 40, because I think what God, through the prophet Isaiah, has to say here is, really something that just touches my heart. When I'm going through difficulty, when things are just hard, sometimes I just feel burned out. You can probably relate to that. I know pretty much everybody has probably felt burned out before. And for me, like I go through seasons of my life where I'm like burning the candle at both ends. I'm going, going, going. And like sometimes I just hit a wall and I feel like I can't do a single thing more. Or I feel like all the obstacles that I constantly keep bumping up against are just too much to handle. But God's word and what he says here through Isaiah really encourages me because he says he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's in Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 31. So good. It's so good. So powerful. Right? I mean, it just, it echoes in my mind like that ramp conversation that we had last week. It's yeah, like, yeah. you're just hitting the ramp and you're going airborne. And I'm never going to find true strength if I'm trying to strive for it on my own. If I'm fighting for like taking another vacation or if I'm just trying to strive for like making it to that next deadline or whatever, like whatever I'm trying to do to get regeneration and renewal for myself, that's never really going to fulfill me. That's never really going to recharge my batteries the way that God can. Yeah, I was just thinking yesterday about how how different my life would feel to me if I didn't have the confidence that God is making sense of it, mm-hmm. that God's hand is in it. Like if I felt like All the things that I wish were different that are discouraging to me, if I looked at those and felt like there's nothing more to it and there's there's no one at work in it and it's all on me to figure it out and make things what they should be. And so what waiting on the Lord means is you are trusting him. And in the meantime, as we talked about (laughs) a week or two ago, In the meantime, you're trusting that he will eventually make sense of it. So thinking about these hardships that we're waiting on the Lord to deliver us from, the reflect question this week is, what good has come from the hardships in my life? And I noticed that I just gave an extra like bonus challenge earlier for people (laughs) to read the book of James or listen to it sometime. And I think I'm... about to throw out another one, which is to consider writing down your thoughts on this challenge. And I think actually all of these reflect challenges make really good writing prompts. They do. If you are prone to write and to think through things in some reflective journaling, I would certainly encourage you to take on this question. What good has come from the hardships in my life. I know I sat down and I just started jotting 
down a list of things and I had to cut myself off because I could go on and on. But I know that it's hard to find time for these kinds of things. I probably wouldn't have done <laughs> this kind of journaling if this show didn't kind of force me to think about some of these questions. <laughs> and that's always helpful. Right. But there's something really valuable about writing about the hard parts of your life and honestly and prayerfully thinking through them, asking for wisdom from God, like we just talked about from James, to see it and to include the blessing of it along with the pain. Until you put your thoughts and your feelings into words, there is a part of it that's not fully processed. And it just really helps, especially if they're prayerful words, if you're bringing those words before God. So just more of a challenge or an encouragement than anything else <laughs> for everybody to sit down and and do a little bit of prayer writing on questions like this. What good has come from the hardships in my life? And this is a question I think that you can only really answer reflectively, like after the fact. It's yeah. hard when I'm going through it right now to see what the blessing is going to be that's coming out of the stuff I'm going through right now. And hopefully we can acknowledge them and thank the Lord for giving us those blessings even in the trials, even in the difficulties that we've endured, which actually leads to our request challenge here, which is a prayer to the Lord. Oh, Lord, deliver me from all my many trials. And that's based on Psalm 34, verse 19. And the psalmist there is really just laying it all out there that, Lord, you are the source of my deliverance. You are the one who will deliver me. And literally, as I was writing this, I was waiting for a package to get delivered. And I'm thinking about it in my mind, like I am waiting for the three words out for delivery. I don't know if you get like that endorphin <laughs> rush when you see those three words pop up like on a website somewhere like out for delivery. Ooh, goody. <laughs> like I'm ready. So I've ordered something like from Amazon or whatever. And now it is going to be delivered. It is almost at my house. When you see out for delivery or like on vehicle for delivery, I'm just <laughs> my eyes light up because I'm excited. And I think about this because I was waiting for a package for the last like two weeks and I was waiting the whole time for it to finally say out for delivery. And I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And sometimes we don't get 24 hour delivery service or we don't get that like immediate next day arrival of our package. And thinking about our suffering, thinking about what we go through. Sometimes I want delivery right now. I want the Lord to deliver me from my trials on my timetable. And that song we sing in his time kind of reminds me that God's timetable for our deliverance may not at all match up with what I expect it to be. And so waiting for the Lord sometimes has to do with just understanding that he has a timetable. He has a plan. He is in control and he will deliver. But I need to be aware that he is ultimately in charge of when that delivery is going to arrive. Boy, that that is really hard. You think about if you don't get next day delivery, your your faith is already shaken that you're <laughs> you're gonna get your product delivered at right. all. And then it's like, okay, I have no idea when the delivery is going to show up. It's mm -hmm. been three weeks, and there isn't even a promise out there of when it's going to come. You just are told trust that it's going to show up. And we have a more reliable delivery driver than Amazon could ever have, but there is no promised timeline. So you're just hanging on knowing it's going to come. I trust God way more than FedEx, by the way, <laughs> just, just sure. so we're clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
So going on to our respond challenge, a step that you can take to put these ideas into action. And what we're all doing and encouraging you to do is to offer God thanks and praise for something or someone difficult in your life right now. So I heard a a good Dalai Lama story a while back. Okay. I don't know if it's true or if I'm telling it right. I'm not going Buddhist on you or anything, but I think it illustrates a biblical point that's pretty good. So someone was interviewing him and asked about the enemies of Tibet, all the nation states that surround them they've had difficult relations with, and he didn't understand. And several times he asked the interviewer, who? Who are you talking about? And they said, your enemies. And they tried to explain it, and his face is all scrunched up as he's trying to figure out who they mean. And then finally, his eyes lit up, and he got this big smile, and he said, Oh, you mean my teachers. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to get across, of course, this idea that we see throughout Scripture that we have things to learn from our difficulties, what we've been talking about throughout this lesson. And Scripture teaches us again and again that these trials, going back to the first Four verses of the book of James, our trials make us better and they teach us and we should rejoice in them. And of course, loving your enemies is this shocking spiritual practice that Jesus teaches, that Jesus revolutionized the world with as each of us learns to forgive and love those difficult, hurtful people in our lives. And the Lord teaches us through Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in everything, to see that in any situation, God can bring gifts. And so I love this idea of appreciating difficult situations, but also difficult people and noticing that they can be our greatest teachers. I just think that's a really helpful thing. I I love this little parenthetical. Thank God for something or someone who is difficult in your life because difficult people fill all of our lives. I mean, you, you can love them, you can serve them, but you acknowledge this is challenging right now and trying to find a way to give thanks for them, I think, can broaden our perspective. That's absolutely a total shift in mindset when you start really thinking about the people that cause you the most difficulty and you start really appreciating them. You start praying to the Lord for them. You start loving them enough to actually see the value in them and what they can do for you. Yeah, I just think gratitude, as we've talked about, is such a broadening, is such a a door opening tool. It oh, just yeah. kind of widens our eyes and and helps us to open our hearts and receive the lessons the Lord has for us much, much clearer. All right, so let's wrap this thing up with our reach out challenge, and that's to ask somebody this week a spiritually focused question. And this week, the question is, what trials have you gone through that changed you? This is maybe going to be a little personal. So as we get into our answers for this, Ryan, what trials have you gone through that changed you? Well, this goes pretty well with that reflect journaling suggestion. (laughs) So I'll just kind of summarize a few different, like here's maybe a a top five (laughs) list of some Let me count the wings. Yes, (laughs) seriously. Um, I think the hardest times in our marriage have forced me to see myself more clearly, which is really hard, mm-hmm. and to grow into a better, into a stronger, more giving person, a better man. I think that parenting is full of lessons and challenges. You know, the hardest times in parenting really is where I grew up. You know, I still was kind of like mostly a 16-year-old boy whenever I was <laughs> 28, I feel like, in so many ways. Like, I just, I had a lot 
of growing to do to take responsibility for the people all around me. And when you set the tone for a family, you do your life differently. I think my hardest times as a son, especially with my dad and things we went through a few years ago, have taught me how to be with people in their suffering and their grief, which is I I just remember those experiences and I, I just kind of tap into those as I not that I know how to be with people perfectly or what to say. But I, I learned, I think, a little bit about grief and about the power of being with people. And I think through all the other sicknesses and deaths that have surrounded me at different times, I've learned to appreciate mortality, to treasure hope because of that, and to hold on to each moment to recognize there's, there's some holiness, there's something, there's a gift that is sacred in each moment we have. And Adrian and I say every, every morning, we'll say to each other, Happy bonus day. (laughs) And we just kind of try to orient ourselves to that idea that we're not guaranteed anything. And that's not something to cause us to live in fear, but to cause us to live in gratitude because every day is, is like this bonus gift. And I think that we talked about difficult people. I think that people who disappoint me whenever I have had that those experiences, I've learned mercy and patience and definitely the humility to see my own failings more clearly and how my failings have affected others. And so just everything teaches you something. And there's so many different angles we could make this list go on forever. But, you know, what about you? What trials have you gone through that changed you? Well, I'm going to start kind of from a different aspect here because I really appreciate all the ones that you shared. I think I could probably sum up a lot of my trials and difficulties, my maybe interpersonal relationship difficulties that I've had over the years out of immaturity, out of all the kind of stupid stuff I used to do as a, as a younger person. I think a lot of those challenges growing up came as a result of unmet expectations. I've always been the kind of person who enjoys a movie a whole lot more when I go in with like zero expectations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But definitely. that moment when I'm walking into the theater or I'm sitting down on the couch going to watch something that I have just built up this show or this movie in my mind as like, this is going to be perfect. Those are the times when I just get let down and I get really discouraged by the fact that it didn't meet that amazing picture I had built in my mind. And I have this same problem with people and with relationships. And as my younger self, I've struggled with this a lot more. When I really expect someone to act in a certain way, like when I build up this hypothetical scenario in my mind, and I'm almost certainly just going to be disappointed when things don't turn out the way that I hope for. I think this has really historically been my problem in my marriage, in my friendships that I've had, in trying to convince people that I really love to be better and to do better. In all these relationships, no matter what they are, I think I have this tendency to try to build up this fantasy world of the way things are going to work. And you know me, like I'm a planner. I want to put everything on a spreadsheet and a calendar and just write it all down. And like I get this idealized view of how things are going to work and they don't turn out that way. And I think a lot of that has led me to trial and to, to just some really challenging interactions with people because I started out going into it. Mm -hmm. with these high expectations, maybe of them, maybe of myself. And as a result, I think of a lot of this tension that's happened with people 
And a lot of the tension that's resulted in myself, the frustrations I've had with how I've responded to things, that's definitely led me to become a more patient and understanding person after having been discouraged and frustrated about these situations that were kind of of my own making. I think it's helped me to to be more thoughtful and just to let things go more, to understand that I'm only going to be able to manage myself. I can't expect people to do the things that I want them to do. I can't expect them to know that I want them to be a certain person or do a certain thing. And I guess that's kind of my insight that I've learned over these trials of interpersonal relationships that I've experienced maybe over the years. There's so much wisdom in what you shared there, and I appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, the expectations and just the stuff that we grip and hold on like this is going to be how it should be is the source of so much of our of our problems and our difficulties and in some ways it kind of relates back i think to the james 4 you who say you're going to do this and it's going to be this (laughs) way and all of that and you're just building it up like this is how it's going to be and you set yourself up for like you say, disappointment for frustration, for interpersonal problems. Yeah, just like the the lowering or even just letting go of as many as you can of the expectations. And it doesn't mean you can't ask somebody for something. Make a request sure. instead of having these like hidden expectations that are under the table. But then sometimes, like you say, you just have to kind of let it go. And one of the things we haven't talked about, we brought it up in our daily download on this subject, but is as we talk about strength in suffering, a big part of what the Bible has to say about it has to do with weakness. Oh yeah. And with our weakness. And when you talk about your expectations for yourself, and I think about how much I've broken my own heart through, especially in my youth, just constantly frustrated with myself because I had these big plans of what I wanted to do all the time. And that is a schooling in weakness. <laughs> to disappoint yourself <laughs> is a is a, a big learning in weakness. Oh, yeah. And then to learn from the gospel to put your trust somewhere else and to change what you're what you're looking for and what you're led by and where you're finding your power and see yourself a little more clearly in the light of the gospel. And then God's grace becomes in some ways a net that makes us braver in the face of both our failures in the past and our fears of the future to kind of walk out onto the tightrope, to do things we wouldn't otherwise do, to be more honest with ourselves than we would otherwise, and then to really grow from it because you know the Lord is there and he has done something that is sufficient where I never could be. That's a really good way to sum it up. So this is our conversation about strength in suffering. So what are we talking about next week as we continue our conversation about endurance? Yeah, as we put endurance into action, it's going to look like consistency. And so this is an, a conversation I'm really excited about. The people that I admire most are those reliable steady, consistent people that you just count on and you just know they have ups and downs in their lives just like we do. But there are these reliable practices and attitudes and ways of being that they have just built into their life because they're learning from the Lord to endure and to keep going. And if we can find those habits and those attitudes to integrate into ourselves, 
we talked about stealing things from others last week and, mm-hmm. and like trying to trying to learn from all these heroes of faith. That's something worth learning and imitating Christ in. I'm going to be singing Bob Seger's Like a Rock, that Chevy commercial <laughs> song, the entire week until we get to that episode. Nice. So. nice. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or at BibleGeeks.fm slash 128. You can also follow along with this cross-training series there on our website as well. And if you haven't rated or reviewed the show in Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service that you use, we would love it if you did that. Until the next episode, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.